eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And Lake Kick is on the air. It is Sunday night, January 3rd, the year of our Lord. Let's get it right here, 2021. Happy to have you with us. Jam-packed show, our 100th show. I wish we could do it a little bit more stylish, but uh, we have a number of circumstances that have relegated me to the, we call in this column, we're calling this the secondary remote satellite parent's bedroom bunker back down in Georgia. That's what we're calling this studio right now. So we're still here, um, a lot going on. So going to be back in the studio eventually. Uh, we'll see, hopefully before the national championship game. Yeah, uh, that's the plan as of now. But in the meantime, it doesn't matter. As long as you can hear my voice, we got a show to do. We've, we're jam-packed. And as jam-packed as this show is, I have no clue how we're going to fit everything in that's going on right now. So understand, it is probably as imperative, if you want to use that word, as ever, to be following me on Twitter right now, at LateKickJosh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, because there is stuff breaking all over the place. I probably, yesterday, so during the day, bowl games are happening and stuff, I don't know how many people I talk to about coaching, rumors, speculation. There's a lot happening. There's so much moving. And here's the thing about it. You, you'll never hear about most of it because most of it won't pan out, but it's like trying to nail jello to a wall, trying to figure out all the moves and how this move affects that move and whatnot. Just the Sarkeesian move alone has so many tentacles to it. We're about to talk about it right now. If you missed it, we already did reaction videos yesterday for three big topics. So I talked to director Colin. I said, man, we can't wait. We got to get this stuff up on the channel. And so you had the playoff games on Friday. So we already did a rapid reaction for Alabama, Notre Dame. We did one for what Ohio State did to Clemson in New Orleans. We called it a legal hate crime. That's exactly what it was. And so we did a video on that. Also, we did a video on Tom Herman being fired. That was the main angle of that video. Tonight, we're going to talk about Steve Sarkeesian, and I got several different points on him. So if you missed that, you can go back on the channel after the show is over, or right now, at your convenience, whatever you want to do, and you can watch those videos. So as I said, we're jam-packed. We're talking Sark. We're talking Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. Tennessee and Jeremy Pruitt, there is a lot of cloud, smoke, whatever you want to call it, over that program right now. No one really knows which direction they're going. And it's, well, it's a shame, but it is what it is. So we're going to talk about that. I'm also going to take you back a couple of years and do something that a lot of people in our profession don't like to do. And that is revisiting their takes. You know, now that time's offered a little more perspective, well, we can go back and see how valid they were. You know, there was, for instance, uh, a time where I was leaving Santa Clara, California a couple of years ago after the national championship game. And on the flight home, I kept on reading article after article about how Alabama had been surpassed by Clemson as a program. Nick Saban had been surpassed by Dabo Swinney as the premier head coach in college football. 
There's a big difference, friends, in a team versus a program. There's a big difference in a year versus an entire stretch, an entire era. Uh, we will talk about that at length before the show goes off the air. I wanted to address something right off the top. Okay, we're recording this a little bit before it actually airs, so i got to give Director Colin time to turn it around. There is a lot going on. As I told you, um, and we're going to continue to talk about this. There's a lot going on. There is a lot of smoke around Dan Mullen right now. I think it's 100% legitimate. I think it's been going on for really a couple of years, but more specifically, uh, the last several weeks. And that's about Mullen and potential NFL overtures. Uh, a lot's going to be in motion. As you get into the NFL offseason, a lot's going to be in motion. So, Keep it locked onto the channel. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't already, because there's going to be, I would imagine, a lot of reaction video potential coming that's not part of the regular shows. So if you're not tuned into the channel and not subscribed to the channel, you'll miss it. So let's dive into this. And um, also, a lot of you, a lot of you blew up my inbox last night. And you were asking with the bowl run that Ramen Noodle Express has been on, what is the percentage against the spread? Well, I'm happy to report. That uh, last night, as Iowa State was busy putting the finishing touches on a beautiful season from Matt Campbell and uh, beating Oregon, we went over 60% against the spread. We're sitting at 60.1% against the spread for the year, which begs the question, will we even touch the national championship game? I do not know. I'm scared to do it because I really, really love what that number looks like. All right, let's dive in. Let's shuffle the papers here. All right, we're good. Let's dive in. Steve Sarkeesian is the new head coach at Texas. As I said, there's a reaction video already on the channel about the firing of Tom Herman. Had several thoughts on that, but now it's time to look at this point in time moving forward. And let me ask you one thing, okay? Especially you Texas viewers, you Texas listeners, I am not someone who likes to gauge feedback and likes to gauge the temperature by reading other writers' stuff and by reading other columnists. I don't care about all that. They're not on the ground. They're not of the fan base. They're not of the culture there. You are. So I, even if they don't want to, I want to hear what you have to say. I'm much more interested in what folks in San Angelo and Odessa and Austin and Dallas and Houston, I'm much more interested in what you guys think about this hire. So here's what I think about this hire. I'm going to give you my thoughts, and there were two main reactions I had here. There were The first reaction is this. No one's pulling for him harder than I am. No one will ever, aside from immediate family, I guess, pull for Steve Sarkeesian harder than I will. I Anytime I cover an Alabama game, and I've been at several of them, been on the field after championships, been on the field after big-time wins in the regular season, I always love going and finding two guys. I'd go find Butch Jones, always make it a point to shake his hand. Number one, I just I find it incredibly entertaining how he's handled the last few years of his life. And number two, I'd go find Steve Sarkeesian because I was very happy uh, for what he was being able to accomplish at Alabama, creating insane value for himself. And I remember what a lot of people won't remind you of, and that is when Nick Saban took him back after he was fired from Atlanta, a lot of Alabama fans didn't like the hire. And I never understood it. It's like Barry from Boaz is working at a bread company up here, but yet still feel qualified or still feels qualified to question Nick Saban's personnel and uh, coaching staff decision move. So whatever that's about, I've been very happy for Steve Sarkeesian. So the first point is I'll be pulling for him all day long and twice on Sunday. Uh, here's the second point, though. I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't have a lot of questions about this. Uh, not not about how the hire went down, but about how he'll fare there. The thing I always go back to, it's an old, old axiom now, is simply this. If we're going to fire someone, do we have a definitive upgrade? Tom Herman was 32 and 18 at Texas. Steve Sarkeesian in his head coaching career is 47 and 35. I'm sure every one of you have read those numbers 
in a million different places by now. Clearly, this hire is not solely based on the fact that they think they're going to get a 47 and 35 caliber head coach there. The the hire is based on the belief that Steve Sarkeesian is better now as a head coach, having been a part of the Alabama program and the Nick Saban machine. And number two, and you could even make this one probably a number one or 1A at least, the folks at Texas probably think that that 47 and 35 record has a lot of external factors tied to it. Now, Sarkis had some well-publicized uh, private issues that were made public, and they probably think a lot of those things had to do with that record. So the hire here has got to be based on the belief that's behind him. So is that a definitive upgrade? I still have a question about that, but there's no way to gauge how coaches transition, period, much less from Alabama. That's the hard part here. If you look at this incredible run Saban's had, I don't think he's crazy about it because he keeps having to replace assistant coaches, but this incredible run of how many guys have left there and gone on to be head coaches is amazing, but it's always hard every time we're trying to ask, all right, how is so-and-so going to fare? How's Butch Jones going to fare? How's Kirby Smart going to fare? How, in this case, is Steve Sarkeesian going to fare? It's hard because of how different the outside world is compared to what it's like at Alabama. I remember... um, I'm not going to give you a timeline on this to save myself, but you know it's been well documented on this show if you've listened long enough that I used to have a hobby of uh, hopping freight trains. And so a lot of times we would get on and get off when they were at a standstill. Not all the time, though, especially if we were coming through Opelika, for example, in Alabama. Uh, that was not an option. So we'd have to jump off while they were still moving. Now, here's the thing. When you're on, when you're not on a train and you're looking at it go by you and a train is going 18 miles an hour, it doesn't look very fast. When you're on a train going 18 miles an hour and then you're about to be tasked with jumping off of it, it looks like you're on Amtrak, essentially. It's not fun. It is not fun. And so here's what you do not know until your feet hit the ground. You do not know if you're going to face plant because you do not know if you are physically capable of running as soon as your feet hit the ground at a speed that is adequate enough to keep you upright. And I've been with folks that have been able to do it, and I've been with folks that haven't been able to do it, and I have fared both ways too. And so you never know until you hit the ground. Well, it is the exact same way. Leaving Alabama and leaving this insane ecosystem and structure and everything is perfectly constructed, that's what Nick Saban has built there. It's like a huge, massive incubator, whether you're a player or whether you're a coach or, or an analyst, support staff, nutrition, strength and conditioning, everything there is built to optimize your personal potential as long as you take care of you. But you notice what I just said. That's Steve Sarkeesian. That's the world he's leaving, having to just take care of him and having an incredible support staff around him to help him take care of him. He is now the construction manager. He's the guy who has to build that structure. And you can say, and you may be right in some ways, Texas can go a long way in providing that for him. Ultimately, you and I both know it falls on the head man. That is the head coach's job. That's why they are paid what they are paid. You may have some some mental health support structure. Uh, You may have some economic support structure. You may have some different life coaching elements of your program. You may have that that the university can put in place and help with, and all that's great, and you have to have it. Ultimately, head coach dictates the identity and structure of the program. So everything was built for him at Alabama. Now you walk into a role where uh, I think it's, it's not necessary to continue to bring up his past, but we do have to acknowledge that that is there, okay? And hopefully we'll never have to acknowledge it again, but it is there. And so that, I think, is a fair concern to have in the back of your mind. The other aspect, and it's just a general thing, 
It's the reason I have stopped even labeling hires as an A hire or a B hire. I don't think there's any way to know. And by that, I really mean I don't think there's any way to know because there's so much that's out of your control regardless. Even if you have perfect intention of doing everything the right way, there's so much that's out of your control. There are a million different moving parts to taking a new job. Some of them you control, some of them you don't control. Now, you you can't worry about anything that's out of your control, but I can because I'm not involved. So I'm a believer you have to have really big shoulders to be the head coach at Texas, just like you need them to be the head coach at Alabama. Alabama was every bit the mess, if not a bigger mess, internally when Nick Saban got there as Texas has been at any point over the last however many years. I mean, Alabama was, there was a lot of rot inside that program. And they hired Nick Saban and see, here's what happened. He is one of, if not the only guy that was probably out there uniquely capable of looking at them and saying, all right, I'm going to take your job, but I don't need your job. I'll take your job, but if I do it, here are my conditions and have Alabama meet them. See, Alabama, man, there are a lot of folks around that program that desired their influence and their access a lot more than they desired a championship caliber program. Don't kid yourself. There are a lot of those folks at Texas, too. So here's your option. You can either continue to grant those wishes or you can be a big time winner. You can't do both. You can't. And so what Saban did when he walked into Alabama was he said, if I'm going to be here, that person, that person, that person and this person, they're not going to be here. And if you want them around, that's fine. But you're not going to have me, too. Is Steve Sarkeesian the kind of guy with enough stroke to walk in a room and say that to the University of Texas? I don't know. I do not know. And so those are the big questions that remain. Now, here's what I do know. From a strictly football standpoint, it is a home run hire. I have no question about that. I have no question he's going to put together a good staff, and I think he's going to do it really quickly. I don't think you'll have to wait too terribly long. He is a guy who, if you ask people behind the scenes about him, one of the things they'll always tell you is Sarkeesian is extremely plugged in. Like His network is as good as pretty much any coach in America. He's he's from different, he's coached. Let me say he's coached in different portions of the country. He knows a ton of folks. He has had run-ins and he has come across a ton of folks. So he is, he, he there's an endless supply of potential candidates for him to fill a staff with. So that I'm not worried about. And the one, the questions that I do have, we'll have to wait a while to answer them, but I will tell you, I am wholeheartedly rooting for Steve Sarkeesian at Texas. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, let's move on here uh, to a place where there is not a lot of clarity. Jeremy Pruitt in Tennessee, no one knows what's happening there right now. I mean, it's it's got a lot of similarities to what we were seeing, as I've said before, at Texas. Um, not a mirror image, but here's a similarity. The similarity is right now, 
you could ask around and no one would bet money on who the Tennessee head coach is going to be to start the 2021 season. Now, here's the other similarity. That is only really widely felt close to the Tennessee program. Like once you get away from it a little bit, if you were to ask an Oregon State fan, hey, what, what? tell me about Tennessee football. You'd say, well, Jeremy Pruitt's the head coach and blah, blah, blah. And it would never even occur to you that there's stuff happening behind the scenes there. Uh, nor would it. You don't really know a whole lot about Knoxville and the goings on there if you're in Corvallis, Oregon. Well, it's the same way with Texas. It's been the same way. You would not have known really that there was a whole lot going on behind the scenes at Texas over the last month, would you? There is a big difference, though. I'm about to tell you what it is. Here, Well, I'll tell you right now, actually. I mean, here's, here's the difference. Texas did not botch anything. And I'm asking, is Tennessee going to? So there is a popular talking point out there right now that Texas botched their coaching search because they went after Urban Meyer, didn't get him. Then they gave Herman the vote of confidence, but then they ended up firing him after an impressive bowl game. And so that's viewed as botching it. Now, that's not botching at all. Here's what happened. What happened is the moment they pressed go on trying to go get Urban Meyer, as it turns out, they had decided at Texas, we're making a move. We're going to make a move regardless. We cannot publicly let people know that we don't want Tom Herman as our coach and then keep him as our coach because we didn't get who we wanted, you know, a candidate A, for example. And so what they did is they went after candidate A. And when that didn't work out, they just kind of put out, if you read it close, a generic statement that said he's our coach. It didn't say anything about really we're long-term committed to him, but it did quiet down enough of the noise to where it got it off the radar and there was some momentary certainty you know, for signing day purposes and whatnot, whether you think that's right or not, there was some certainty as to where the program was right now. And then when they wanted to make the move, it was like the snap of a finger. You went from not knowing it was going to happen to 20 minutes later, not only did you know it was happening, you knew who the replacement was going to be. Well, that's how you do it. Right now, none of that exists at Tennessee. It's total limbo. You know that there's an investigation going on, and some of it's internal, by the way, an investigation going on. What's the purpose behind that investigation? They've already been poor on the field. Jeremy Pruitt certainly does not have anything that would be remotely close to considered universal support in the fan base or behind the scenes. Is this being done potentially to obviously thwart a buyout that they would have to pay so they can get rid of him and you know not have to pay a ton of money to do it? All that speculation, I can't tell you one way or the other. I can tell you I feel like that's probably what's going on, but I can't tell you definitively. But I would also ask this. I would ask, what's a timeline here? When are we going to know anything? Like, that's the question. Because here's, here's a really bad place to be. It's a really bad place to be sitting here in January after the dust has settled, the season is over, the early signing date is over, and every day that passes, you get that much closer to spring football in the 2021 season. I know it's January, but that's how you have to think because everyone else out there you're competing with has already either made a move, in the case of South Carolina, or you know at Georgia, there is no move to be made. Florida's got a different set of circumstances, but everyone else is moving forward, man, and you are sitting there in total and complete limbo. What are the players on your roster supposed to think? What are your recruits supposed to think? What are your signing? supposed to think. And hey, what's the rest of the coaching staff supposed to think? So I don't know what the timeline is going to be there. And first and foremost, like that's where I wish they'd learn from Texas. Okay. Even if you don't know internally, even if you don't know Pruitt's going to be the guy, even if you don't know that, um, even if you, even if really you have the intention of him not being there, man, it puts something out, say something. And that leads me to believe there's not a whole lot of direction either behind the scenes or there is direction, but it's people pulling in different directions and uh, set a direction a lot there. But the point being, I don't necessarily know if they have their stuff together in Knoxville right now. And I don't, you know, 
if that's the case, and I believe it to be the case, I don't think that you could get Jeremy Pruitt in this room right now with me, inject him with truth serum, and have him give us a much better update than I just gave you. Because if what I just suggested is indeed the case, Jeremy Pruitt probably wouldn't know any more than us. I mean, for the time being, as far as he knows, he's the head coach of Tennessee. Every morning he shows up, his name's still in the parking spot. But I mean, who knows what tomorrow is going to bring? So, I mean, my default stance here, and I've well chronicled this now, has been entering 2020. I didn't have him on any kind of hot seat. They had the eight-game winning streak to end the season last year. Like, I thought they were on a, a pretty good climb. We'll see, dot, dot, dot. And so, you know, my take, and it wasn't a Pruitt thing, it was a general thing, is I'm not going to support the firing of any coach that I didn't already think needed to be out going into 2020. So COVID was going to make it a weird year. I wasn't going to let it affect my judgment of a coach. Okay, that's where I stood. Obviously, some people at Tennessee felt different, which is fine. It's their program. But here's the thing. So you would you would think that my stance now would be still, okay, no matter how bad Pruitt was, you got to keep him. Well, here's one thing that can deem that totally irrelevant. If you allow him to remain just twisting in the wind, that changes the status quo. Uh, the record didn't change the status quo for me. Like if you were steadfast behind him the whole time, that wouldn't have changed anything. What changes it is you had the bad record and then you have the internal investigation and therefore a lot of smoke and no one providing clarity. Well, at that point, you've probably left him a no-win situation. It was already going to be hard. Like a lot of you would already argue well, he, he wasn't going to win anyway. Well, that may be true. It may not be true. But I can assure you it's going to be true if Tennessee allows him to twist in the wind while the rest of his competition puts even more and more distance between Tennessee and their programs. And so if that's the case and we're not going to provide any clarity, well, you just need to make a move. You need to you need to grit your teeth and do what needs to be done and just drop the hammer instead of sitting around and waiting. Like that's not a way to run. That's not any way to run a high school football program, much less a college football program in the SEC. So uh, and I, you know, good and well, I'm not a believer in this whole, well, Tennessee just needs to accept that they're not a potential tier one program anymore. Yeah, they are. Don't let anyone tell you different. Don't let anyone tell you that Tennessee's not capable of building the same kind of winner that Georgia can build or that Florida can build. They, they absolutely are. Uh, Tennessee's capable of everything Clemson football is capable of. They absolutely are. They're not that now. And so it's hard to see, but it takes a little foresight. It takes a little vision. You know, a a, a deaf, blind monkey could sit around and wait for someone to be good and then say, they're good. Yeah, that's easy. Uh, Tennessee could be that. They're not that. They're not close to that right now. They could be that. They have all the resources in place. I've talked about that before several times. All right, moving on. The Jim Harbaugh situation at Michigan is pretty interesting right now. So over the weekend, is it the weekend? Yeah, still the weekend, Colin. So over the weekend, Bruce Feldman uh, from Fox Sports tweeted out that there was a lot of optimism that a new deal was imminent at Michigan through 2026. So an extension for Jim Harbaugh. And that would be wrapping up soon. Again, that according to Bruce Feldman, who's about as plugged in as anyone on this sort of deal. Optimism's a funny word, though, isn't it? So as soon as I saw that tweet, I uh, answered and I put out a little tweet of my own, at Late Kick Josh, by the way. I put out a little tweet of my own and I said, uh, is there optimism around the fan base? Now, it's a very unscientific poll, but according to Late Kick Michigan, uh, no, man, there's not a lot of optimism around the fan base. In fact, I got about 80-20 no versus yes, and so it's just kind of bleh. And I, I feel for you guys because I know how this must look to you. And what it looks to you, or what it looks like is, and it's the same to me, is just kind of 
accepting a relegation to mediocrity on the national stage. Now, Michigan football, in reality, is still flying higher than 80% to 85% of the sport, but that's not where you want to hang out. If you're a genius, you don't want to be making 80 to 85s on your tests. And Michigan football, at least metaphorically, they think they're capable of being a Rhodes Scholar, or as we say in Georgia, a Rogue Scholar. Much better. That's a, that's a much that's a much more modern term, rogue scholar. And right now they just can't be that because they don't have the right leadership. Uh, I guess, of course, the side note there could be that maybe Harbaugh's just a guy who has to make it several years into his tenure before things finally click. And then he looks like a genius again. I guess that always could happen. I don't expect that. I would be genuinely surprised at this point if Jim Harbaugh is ever going to put a product on the field at Michigan that even remotely competes with what Ohio State is doing under Ryan Day, what they did before Ryan Day under Urban Meyer. I just I view from a distance, granted, I view those programs as viewing football through totally different lenses. And so that's where I think they are. And they're not just competing against Ohio State, man. They got several others in the Big Ten. And if you want to arrive on the national stage, you have to think like the Buckeyes do, which is we're competing with Alabama, Clemson, and Oklahoma, the usual suspects. Should he be back, though? That's kind of the question that a lot of people are asking. And I have two questions, whereas I normally would have one. The normal question I would have, which I've already asked on this show tonight, is okay, well, you're asking, should he be back? My counter is, do you have a definitive upgrade out there? Now, that's normally where this would end for me. But in this case, I have a second question. My, so the first one is, do you have a, a definitive upgrade? My number two question is, for Michigan, do you have a new vision for your program? Because if you don't have a new vision for your program, I don't really care who you're plugging in as head coach, to be honest with you. I'll give you an extreme example here. Okay, uh, Michigan folks know exactly what I'm talking about. The identity of Michigan football, Michigan athletics, specifically Michigan football, how they choose to run their program, um, the vision for Michigan football, what we value versus what other people value, uh, how far we're able to go versus what we're willing to put in, how all in are we willing to be, in other words. Just a different philosophy up there. I'm not knocking it. It's just different. If you're me, if you're someone like me, who grew up in the Southeastern Conference footprint. I got to be honest with you, it's a little bit foreign, but it is what it is. So let me give you an extreme example. What would happen if Nick Saban called Michigan today and said, I want that job, and he took the job? Let's say they got rid of Jim Harbaugh and he took the job, but the vision for the program was going to be the same. How well would Nick Saban succeed at Michigan, do you think? And you may say, well, he's Nick Saban. He'd succeed anywhere. Well, that's only true if Nick Saban's allowed to build a program 100% his way, regardless of where he goes. I mean, that was the entire premise behind him taking Alabama. You're going to allow me to essentially be the general manager and head coach of this program. I'm building everything the way I want it built. You don't believe this if you're an outsider. If you're close to Michigan, you know exactly what I'm about to say is true. Even if Nick Saban went to Michigan, he'd get pushback. He'd get pushed back on a lot of things. He'd get told no on some things. I mean, from the size of his personnel department to the number of analysts he'd want on his staff to the size of ancillary programs. To you and I, it's ancillary. To him, it's necessary. Like nutrition, uh, sports management. Like There are a lot of different things. A recruiting budget. I mean, are you kidding me? You think they'd do at Michigan what they do at Alabama? They wouldn't. It's not that they're incapable of it. They're certainly capable of it. It's that they wouldn't be willing to. And so my question goes back to, with Jim Harbaugh being there right now, you're, a lot of people are asking, should he be back? That's not even the main question to me. The main question to me is, is there going to be a noticeable change in philosophy up there, a program philosophy? If there's not, I 
for the time being, given the structure of the sport, to be honest with you, I don't really care who the head coach is. Now, if the answer is yes, or if I'm off base on that, and it really isn't the structure overall in place that's been impeding things just as much as it's been not having the right head coaching candidate, I'd be happy to be proven wrong. Trust me, I'd love for Michigan to be a perennial powerhouse. That would be very good for me. But thus far, it hasn't happened. And I think the reason that it hasn't happened extends well beyond just who the head coach is. So going to keep a close eye on this. Uh, it's, it's. I hope that the full story on this comes out sometime in the not-too-distant future after everything's died down. All right, let's move on here. Um, Texas A&M, a really big win in the Orange Bowl over North Carolina. You guys can argue amongst yourselves how big you thought it was, but I enjoyed watching it. You know, I don't have to sit here and constantly argue about conference supremacy and what this game means and whether it's meaningless or not. You just got to tell people to shut up sometimes and enjoy what they're watching. You know, it's like a crying baby in a corner. Just, well, not a baby. Let's say it's a five-year-old. Just leave them alone. They'll cry themselves out eventually. And so too will this bowl games don't mean anything crowd. Just, just block them out. Who cares? Enjoy. Did you enjoy the game? Because if you enjoy the game, that's really all you need to worry about. Jimbo Fisher afterwards though, uh, spectacle. First off, he filibustered the post-game interview girl. She didn't even get a question in for like three minutes. Secondly, he self-diagnosed a pulled hamstring right there on the stage, which is impressive in and of itself. Uh, he dodged, I, I think, like half a dozen Gatorade baths. Texas A&M players were attacking those oranges like they were the last meal they will ever eat on earth. A lot of them didn't even bother to peel the skin off, so I admired that. But Jimbo Fisher said a lot of things, like he always does, and then he said, we're not done, we're just getting started. And I had some buddies texting me, oh, blah, 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 A&M's not going to do this, not going to do that. I want to be crystal clear about this. Texas A&M is going to be in the college football playoff picture for years to come. Everyone's looking around at how little parity there is in college football and how the system is only built to allow the few to compete. And I think it's total ignorance. I think it's very misplaced. And the diagnosis for what's truly wrong with college football has very little to do with the system in place. I think a lot of what is eroding at the fabric of college football, well, one of the things is Folks not understanding how to build programs and how to properly hire people because you don't have football people hiring football people. You got boosters hiring football people. Well, at Texas A&M, they got it right. The first thing they did was they hired the right head coach. Jimbo Fisher comes in. It's a guy you never have to guess with. You know what his principles and values are. You know that he understands the blueprint of how to build a program. He has the entire infrastructure built, and there are multiple kind of congruent parallel avenues of infrastructure. You know, recruiting infrastructure, for example, is totally different than play calling infrastructure. He's got it all in place. Recruiting, speaking of which, is doing very well right now. I think they continue to up their recruiting game year over year. They have proper investment everywhere investment is needed. Jimbo Fisher does not get told no, whether it's facility enhancements, which they don't need right now at all. Uh, he's got a recruiting budget. He, they've got everything they need to succeed. And if they don't have it, they can get it by tomorrow. They have built line of scrimmage like you have to do in major college football to win. They've built depth along their lines of scrimmage. They continue to add depth there. The young skill talent, you saw some of it on display in the bowl game last night, continues to come on. They got to get better there. They are getting better. That's how you recruit. I'll tell you the difference, though. They are building with sort of an ovens mentality, whereas a lot of folks want a microwave mentality. That's not the programs. Those aren't the programs you look at as setting up for long-term sustained success. Texas A&M is setting up for long-term sustained success. They're in the oven right now. You first off had to turn it on and let it heat up. 
and then you put the food in there and you got to lay, you got to wait a little while for it to cook. But once it's hot, you can just keep popping it in there and it doesn't take nearly as long anymore. The microwave mentality, that's what a lot of folks want in a hire. That's what a lot of folks are looking for. Like we want to compare everyone to Alabama. And if they don't get there within one or two years, they're just never going to get there. That's not the way you do it. Texas a and is doing it the right way. And here is the final domino that has to fall at Texas A&M. Because a lot of people aren't going to believe what I'm saying is going to come to fruition until this domino falls. First off, huge credit to Kellen Mond. I mean, look at that embrace with he and Jimbo Fisher at the very end of that game, the Orange Bowl game. Tells you a lot. Tells you everything you need to know. Uh, Fisher has stood up for him at every turn, and it's really easy to understand why and how close that relationship was between those two guys. So I enjoyed watching that. I've enjoyed watching Kellen Mond. He's not the greatest. He's not the greatest quarterback in the history of the Southeastern Conference, but. Uh, he was a very dependable guy, a pretty consistent guy. And so quarterback, having said all that about Kellen Mond, that's the domino. If all I do with Texas A&M is get them a superstar quarterback, whether it be recruiting or through the transfer portal, and trust me, either could happen at this point, that's what it's going to take. If you put a Tuatunga Vailoa, Kyle Trask, Deshaun Watson, whatever, if you put that type of quarterback in College Station under Jimbo Fisher, they will have arrived at that point on the national playoff scene for everyone, and they won't be going away. Because as we've seen with Bama, as we've seen with Clemson, as we've seen with the other big boys, once you get the first one in there, they follow. It just sets up a pipeline. Once you get that first major elite quarterback, then you'll never be without one. Because if you don't recruit them, transfers will come in there because you will have proven that you are one of those premier destinations. Keep an eye on Texas A&M. I am telling you, don't be shocked when all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're, they're the program pushing Alabama. They're the program capable of getting in the playoff even without winning a conference or a division. That is where Texas A&M is going to be when they get quarterback figured out. Because you get quarterback figured out, receivers easy to get figured out. Uh, they already have lines of scrimmage figured out. They already got some pretty good tailbacks down there and will continue to have them. Just keep watching Texas A&M. All right, Colin, you know, I had some other stuff to talk about, but it's a long off season. And another topic I had to talk about, we can easily push down the road. Uh, but, uh, you know, I kind of teased it in the beginning. And so... This is not me forgetting that I was going to talk about it. This whole Alabama-Clemson 2018 deal, still going to talk about that. We'll probably do it on a show to come easily within the next month, and it will still be every bit as relevant then, trust me. Uh, but until then, again, make sure you are following me on Twitter. A lot is happening, at Late Kick Josh. If you weren't following me on Twitter, you missed our 6-2 and two run against the spread in bowl season. We're now over 60% in the Ramen Noodle Express. Don't know if we're going to have a play on the national title game yet. We will see. Uh, we'll have a national championship game breakdown coming probably by the end of the week, probably by Thursday. So uh, maybe even Tuesday, but definitely by Thursday. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, TBD as to when I'll be back in the studio in Nashville. But until then, Director Colin has got us covered nine ways from Sunday back at the home base in Nashville. And uh, thanks to him and thanks to producer Jordan on the podcast side of things. So until next time, enjoy your week here. Uh, looking very, very forward to this week. A lot going on in a lot of different ways. So keep it locked on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel and the Late Kick Podcast. Five-star reviews appreciated. Until then, thanks so much for watching. God bless.
was a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.